Hey, how are we? Great to see you all. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's James. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, really excited to be opening up this uh, passage with you. Love for you to keep uh, Luke 1 open uh, with you and uh, love for you to pray with me now. Father God, we thank you for the wonderful promise and joy that we are reminded of at Christmas, that your son Jesus came into the world, the greatest gift of all, coming on that rescue mission that took him to the cross. And so we pray now as we pause and we reflect on that, that you would enable us to do that with real humility and delight in hearing your word, that we would know the peace that Jesus brings. We pray in his mighty name. Amen. Well, we are in uh, our Advent series, All I Want for Christmas, and uh, today we're talking about peace. And so I was thinking about peace uh, during the week, and my mind went back to a moment back in 2013. Uh, it was a while ago. Um, so it was just before we joined Norwest here, uh, and we had three boys, not four. Uh, so Jack was seven, Harry was five, Miles was just one, uh, and crawling everywhere, and Jane was pregnant with Lachlan. Uh, and we were on holidays uh, up on the north coast at North Haven, a beautiful part of the world, uh, staying in a friend's uh, caravan while we were up there in a caravan park. Um, and I remember one particular morning, I got up very early, uh, just before dawn, to go for a run. Um, and I love those kind of crisp autumn mornings. Uh, and I found this uh, bush trail that kind of followed the headland in and out of the beaches. And it was just a really spectacular run that morning. Um, and so I came back from the run. I remember walking back through the caravan park to our caravan and had this moment of just real contentment and peace. Uh, it was a beautiful morning. Uh, I was feeling good after the run. I was thanking God for Jane and the three boys, thanking God for the gift of a holiday and excited about joining Norwest. It was a real moment of just ah, contentment and peace. And then I got back to the caravan. Uh, apparently what had happened while I was out on the run that uh, Jack and Harry had woken up super early and Miles, uh, still a baby really, uh, was sleeping. And so Jane didn't want to wake him up. So she said to the boys, can you just play cars in the annex off, the tent annex off the caravan? Um, and, and we'll kind of wait till Miles gets up and everything. And after they'd been playing a little while, they came and they said, oh, well, we really need to go to the toilet. Uh, now the problem was the toilet was like 100 meters away uh, and Miles was still asleep. And so she didn't want to send a five-year-old and a seven-year-old off to the toilets on their own, but didn't want to wake Miles up. So she said, look, just we in this bucket, uh, and we'll sort it out later when Dad gets back. You can see it's not going to end well, right? Um, so that was fine. I mean, it's not 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 ideal kind of solution, but it's pretty good uh, improvisation in the circumstances. Um, anyway, somehow, as they were playing with their cars, they managed to tip the bucket of wee over, so that went all over the floor in the annex, and then... Uh, to top it off, they then tipped a clothes rack with drying clothes over into the puddle of wee. Um, so I arrived back uh, from this run to chaos. Uh, Jane exasperated, the boys protesting, they had no idea how it happened, uh, <laughs> as you do, right? And, and uh, so there wasn't peace and contentment in the caravan, there's just chaos and mess. And, and so we got down to cleaning up the wee and rewashing the clothes and everything, and we've never been caravanning since. <laughs> Now, the reason I tell you that story uh, is because I think it's a little bit of a picture of a, a parable of life, not because of the we, but um, because when we think of peace, very often we think of peace and quiet. Yeah, that's right. 
We think about getting away from all the noise and the hustle and bustle and the stress and just finding somewhere that's peaceful and quiet and we can get some peace. So when you think of peace at Christmas, perhaps your mind goes to that moment just after lunch on Christmas Day. You've done all the cleaning up, the presents, the shopping, the, the cooking, and then the cleaning up after the meal, and you get that moment where you just get to kind of sit. And you, oh, we made it. <laughs> we survived another year. Or, or maybe for you, your mind goes to that time on Boxing Day or the day after when you get up in the morning and you have plans to do absolutely nothing <laughs> or watch the cricket. And you think, oh, okay, we've got some peace now. See, when we think of peace, we tend to think of peace and quiet, of getting away from it all. But the beautiful thing is that in the Bible, we discover a peace that's not found in the midst of all the mess of getting away from the mess of life, but it's actually given to us in the midst of life. See, in Luke chapter 1 that we read before, peace kind of sneaks up on us, doesn't it? The scene that we've got before us is a village in northern Israel in the first century, and the kind of culture, the social setting there is in a village where everyone's business is kind of everyone else's business. And so when Elizabeth and Zechariah finally had this long-awaited child, then all the neighbors and the relatives gather to kind of be part of that. And there's no kind of stress around that. There's just verse 58, this kind of shared joy at the mercy of God to them. But there is a bit of hassle around the naming of this child, isn't there? So you can't name him John, I mean, that doesn't work. You should name after his father, Zechariah. That's tradition. That's custom. But Elizabeth and Zechariah are very firm and clear, aren't they? His name is John. Now, we know that's because two weeks ago in Luke 1, when Zechariah was in the temple, an angel appeared to him and said, you will have a son, and he is to be named John, and he'll be a prophet announcing the coming of God's Savior. And so he is named John. And then as we read, Zechariah's mouth is open, his tongue is loosened, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies this amazing prophecy over his son. And look where it all ends in verse 79. To guide our feet into the path of peace. It ends with that word, peace. A promise that God will guide our feet into the path of peace. It's tantalizing, isn't it? Enticing exciting that there is a direction in life a a path in life a a way of life a, a promise of god to give us peace don't you want that don't you need that let's explore what this peace looks like it was there before us in luke uh just before in verse 79 it says to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death Now, that's the human condition. That's our condition, our burden, our struggle, that we live in darkness and we live with the shadow, the threat of death hanging over us all our lives. Now, we don't tend to think about life that way. We don't think that we're in the darkness. We get good at ignoring death. But it's a spiritual darkness, isn't it? We're in the dark about God, about life, the meaning of life, all the really important things. And the tragedy is... We don't realize how far we are from God. We're a bit like the addict who hasn't yet hit rock bottom and thinks that they can manage their addiction. I've got it under control. We're a bit like the gambler who thinks that their big break is just around the corner. We're a bit like the workaholic who says, just one more year and then I'll take a break. That's the darkness. We don't realize how hopeless we are, how far from God we are. 
How do you know if that's you? Well, have you ever had this thought? Have you ever thought, I'm not as hopeless and sinful and blind and dead as, as the Bible says? That's not me. I'm not like that. I'm certainly not a, like an addict. See, that's our problem. We don't realize how far from God we are. And so God's response to our blindness, our sin, verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. It's not abstract, is it? Not theoretical, it's not hypothetical, it's deeply personal. God comes. God turns up. God steps in. And this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Now look, verse 70 is as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Verse 72 is in remembering his covenant, his promise. And it was the oath, the promise he swore to Abraham in verse 73. God is faithful. That, that's why the, those things matter to us. It reminds us that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises. I mean, just think about all the New Year's resolutions that we're all going to break in term one next year. That's just going to happen. This is just the done thing, right? Or all the promises that we've broken in our lives. The people that we've let down. We are so fickle, but God is faithful. We're so unstable, but God is stable. We're so erratic, God is constant. You can rest your life on his constancy, his promise keeping. And so as we read in verse 76, John will come announcing God's Savior and who will bring the forgiveness of sins. And why? Verse 78, make sure you don't miss this. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Isn't that so good that God is tender with us? He's merciful and kind and gentle. And the coming of Jesus would be like what? Verse 78, like the rising of a sun from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus cuts through our darkness to rescue us from that shadow of death. Hebrews chapter 2 puts it like this. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So good, isn't it? Imagine it this way. You go out fishing. Beautiful day, so you head out past the heads, out into the ocean. And then a horrible storm comes up. And you're tossed around, night falls, the waves are crashing against the boat, and you get swept overboard. You're wearing a life jacket. But the waves are so big that you keep getting swamped again and again and keep getting a face full of water and you're struggling for breath and, and you start to lose hope. You start to despair the ever feeling firm ground under your feet, ever seeing your family again. And then this powerful light comes towards you and, and it lights you up and it's the searchlight of the rescue boat and you're saved. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's like the rising sun from heaven who cuts through the darkness, delivers us from that shadow and that terror of death and guides us in the path of peace. See, friends, the path of peace isn't some journey that you need to go on. 
It's not a book that you need to read or a blog that you need to follow or reflection meditations that you do to find inner peace. No, the path of peace is what Jesus has done for us. He's shone his light into our darkness. He has forgiven our sins. He's delivered us from the terror and shadow of death. So what does that look like now in real lives? There's a great example of it in Luke chapter 7, a bit later on, in the life of one particular woman. So I'd love you to flick over to Luke 7 with me. Just a few pages. Luke 7. Luke 7, and right at the end of the chapter, look how the chapter finishes. Verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus sends her on her way with peace. How is that possible? What, what does that look like? Well, to kind of get that, we need to step into the scene here. So I want you to imagine that you are uh, a merchant living and working in Capernaum, up in northern Israel and Galilee. And you've done quite well. You're wealthy and you're well-respected in your community. And so when the latest celebrity, Jesus, comes to town and Simon, one of the religious leaders, a Pharisee, holds a dinner for him, you get invited along because you're one of the pillars of the community. And you're excited to go because you've heard from people about these miracles that Jesus has been doing. Amazing, like hard to believe. And that he teaches like no one else, much better than the Pharisees. And so there you are at this meal, hanging on every word, excited to be at this dinner. And then look what happens, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. How shocking. You're at this polite, respectable meal, and this woman, known as a sinful woman, who probably a prostitute, she, she comes into this house, and not just into the house, she comes into the room where the meal is being held, the dinner. And not just that, she goes and washes Jesus' feet and weeps over him. What is going on? Well, Simon thinks he knows what's going on. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what is, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. He thinks Jesus is a fool. Jesus answered in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had been given had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Jesus knows what's really going on. He, he knows that this woman knows what it is to be forgiven. How, how did that happen? I think most likely she'd already had some experience of Jesus. Perhaps she'd heard him teach, probably sitting in the shadows on the edge so no one noticed and no one bothered her. And she'd heard him teach about forgiveness and how he welcomed everyone. Even tax collectors who were despised and hated because they cheated their own people. Even these people could be forgiven. Just, just imagine for a moment the impact that kind of news has on a woman like this. She was a prostitute. Her experience of life was of being used by men and then told that she was the sinner. She was the dirty one. She was the unclean one. 
And then comes another man, Jesus. A man like no other man she'd ever met. A man who welcomed and forgave everyone. That's why Jesus says, verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Her sins have been forgiven because she came to Jesus in faith. Jesus gives her forgiveness and peace. So perhaps you're here tonight and you feel the weight of sin in your life. You'd never admit it publicly, but you feel terrible shame, horrible guilt, awful regrets and disappointment. And you know that you have no real peace and joy in your life because you don't know the forgiveness of sins. You know, if this woman in Luke 7 was here tonight, she'd want to sit down and talk with you. She'd want to say to you, you know, I was there. I know what it's like. I used to walk on that road of shame and guilt. But Jesus forgave me and he took me off that lonely road of shame and guilt and he guided me on this beautiful road of the path of peace. So will you be like this woman in Luke 7? Will you humble yourself before Jesus? Like she, she didn't care what anyone thought of her. She just wanted to be near Jesus. Will you come to him seeking forgiveness? Because he'll change your life. You'll never be the same again. Now I know that sounds a bit like a church soundbite. And so I want to tell you another beautiful story that I think helps us see the difference that Jesus makes. I follow a blog by a guy called Stephen McAlpine. Um, he's the lead pastor of Providence Church in Midland, Perth. And one particular uh, blog that he wrote really grabbed my attention. Uh, he wrote about his mother, Pauline. And he writes that when Stephen and his two brothers were just little boys, his father walked out on them for another woman, went to live with another woman, leaving his mum to raise three boys with one dollar in her bank account. Now, his mum, Pauline, not knowing what to do and all at sea, did one solid thing. She prayed for her husband, who just left her. She said this, I'm not praying to get back together with him. That's impossible. I just want to see him back with the Lord in case something happens to him. What graciousness. Anyway, life went on. Pauline raised her three boys and worked all sorts of different kinds of jobs uh, to pay the bills and was always known as someone who did more than was needed to help others. And she always prayed for her husband and said, in case something happens to him. Much later, after she'd retired and well into her 60s, she rang Steve one afternoon to ask if she could bring a date to a family birthday lunch that was coming up. Stephen asked, who? She said, your dad. He phoned me to reconcile with me and say how sorry he is. I've always prayed for this day to come. And so they were reconciled. And what Pauline had really prayed for for years happened. He came back to church. He was reconciled to God. He asked for forgiveness for his sins. And life went on. And then came the dementia. And a particularly nasty form of dementia that destroys your mind and body within a few short, sharp years. 
And so very quickly, he was in a high-care dementia unit in an aged care facility. And Pauline would go and visit him regularly, bringing him little treats, chocolates, sweets, things to read to him. And she would pray for him, pray with him. Stephen writes about going to see his dad one afternoon. And as he walked into his dad's room, the stench was overpowering. Like he, he gagged at the smell. And what had happened is that his dad had soiled himself. And somehow it had leaked out of the nappy and gone all over the floor. And he was just about to grab one of the staff to come and clean it up. And he saw his mum on her hands and knees cleaning up this diarrhea. He said, mum, what are you doing? We, we can get people to clean this up. And, and she turned and waved him away and said, don't worry about it, dear. I've got this. I've got this. Stephen writes, after all the crap that dad had put mum through, Mum was prepared to get down on the floor and clean up dad's crap. Not when he was able or vital, not when he could do anything for her, but when he was helpless, hopeless and dying without even the words to express himself. It was a pure, unadulterated expression of grace from a woman who prayed for a man who did not deserve her prayers for so many years. It still blows me away to think about it. Tears still come when I think about that. It's just such a huge thing. Amen. He goes on. Yes, it is huge. But how much more than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who looking down at us lying there helpless, dying and wallowing in our crap, held up his hand and said, I've got this. I've got this. Such a beautiful story, isn't it? Friends, this is the path of peace. Sins are forgiven. Broken hearts are healed and lives are transformed. So as we celebrate communion together tonight, don't let it be some ritual that we just do every now and then. It's a symbolic meal that points back to the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was executed. And so it points us back to Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and in our place. And we should remember as we eat the bread and the juice, we should remember that Jesus looked down on us in our sin and our brokenness and he said, I've got this. I've got this. And so for some of us tonight, we're not sure where we are with Jesus. And so it might be appropriate for you not to take the bread and juice, but to use this as a time of reflection. For some of us, it's a time of deep repentance because we know that we've been playing games with Jesus. We've blocked him out of areas of our life. And there's broken relationships that need healing. And for some of us, it's a time of deep thankfulness. We're just so grateful that Jesus stepped in. And is guiding us on this path of peace. So I'm going to give us some time, a minute to reflect. Think about what response we want to make to Jesus tonight. And then I'll guide us through the next part of communion. So take a time to reflect.